Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Dialogue Between the Lines, where each week we talk with authors and publishing industry professionals. I'm your host, Joshua Graham, along with my lovely co-host, Susan Wingate. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to connect with us on our website, which is www.dialoguebtl.com. Stay tuned, because just in a few minutes, we're going to be speaking with the New York Times bestselling author team, Preston and Child. But in the meantime, I'd like to greet my co-host, Susan. Hey, how are you, Susan? I'm doing great, Joshua. It's been quite a busy, busy holiday season. Um, One thing that's exciting for me is that Drowning is coming out just before Christmas, the Christmas uh, season to um, in audiobook. So I'm I'm super excited about Drowning coming out. I know in audiobook, and plus I'm writing my brains out. It feels like um, with my uh, latest uh, work called Cats of Summer. So. I'm just busy writing and and working and doing the same thing that all working authors are doing, I suppose. How about you, Joshua? I know you're super busy, too. It's been an incredible uh, year, and there's just so much going on. But I'm also busy writing, and I'm I'm writing to two deadlines, actually. Um, One of them is for a hopeful release uh, at the end of this year for my book, Terminus. And that's kind of a supernatural, paranormal suspense. There's a whole bunch of... The genre is mixed in one, I think, but I I think that's going to be a pretty exciting release. Um, At the same time, I'm trying to finish another uh, legal thriller called Extreme Prejudice, so we'll see how those both go. But uh, we've got a pretty limited time, and we've got so much to talk about with our guests today. So today, it's my honor to introduce everybody to two amazing authors, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, the co-authors of the famed Pendergast series, including the first two books in the Helen trilogy, Fever, Fever Dream, and Cold Vengeance. Preston and Child are also the authors of the Gideon Crew series. Their uh, book Relic and the Cabin of Curiosities was chosen by readers in the National Public Radio Poll as being among the 100 greatest thrillers ever written and relevant wow. to a number one box office hit movie. Doug Preston's acclaimed nonfiction book Monster of Florence is being made into a movie starring George Clooney. And Lincoln Child is a former book editor who has published five novels of his own, including the huge bestsellers Deep Storm and The Third Gate. And the authors are very active uh, on social media. You can find them on their Facebook page where they post regularly, which is at facebook.com forward slash Preston and Child. And that's spelled out Preston, A-N-D, Child. Uh, And they post there regularly and uh, with some very lively and entertaining um, information and we're, you can find them on their website as well at um, www.prestonchild.com. So, without further ado, I'd like to introduce everybody to Lincoln Child and Douglas Preston. You're on the air. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Good Joshua. Morning. Hi, Susan. Thanks to have Hello. for having us on. And I have You're to welcome. say, it's nice to hear of two authors who already have titles for all their upcoming books. That's only that Doug and I are. <laughs> Are struggling with at the moment. <laughs> we saw that on Facebook. You're 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 actually um, reaching out to your audience to, to, for some suggestions. Yep, the last act of Desperate Men. 
That's a great idea, though. I mean, you know, your your audience will now take even more ownership of the books. Well, well fact, two, we uh, have two graves. Uh, uh, is is you know we have them to thank for the, that title. You know, they they helped us with that. So it's they're indispensable to us these days. Our 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 audience, our Facebook readers, and posters. Well, they did a great job. That's a that's a great title for a, an incredible book. It's a lot of fun to read. I'll tell you, it's just like slipping into a. a, a a quick hole, and I'm like there right away, wanting to just finish this book. It's a it's a ride. Well, thank and you. And we're very uh, fortunate to have gotten some advanced reader copies of that, so mm-hmm. um, that's why Susan is able to speak about that. And I'm sure all the fans listening out there are extremely jealous of you, Susan. But um, you know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Doug in person in New York in July at Thriller Fest. Um, but we also spoke with Lincoln uh, earlier, uh, I think it was last year sometimes, so I actually heard Lincoln's voice first before I met uh, Doug in person, but it was, it's a pleasure and an honor to know you both. Now, I'd like to ask uh, either one of you, or both of you can answer, but do you remember your first encounter? What was your first impression of each other? <laughs> well, I, I remember that very well. Um, I was working at the Museum of Natural History, and as a columnist, I think I was about 21, 22, it was right after college, and I got a call from a very distinguished-sounding gentleman who said he was a, a senior editor at St. Martin's Press and wanted to meet with me for lunch to, uh, to discuss a book at the Russian Tea Room, which at the time was one of the fanciest restaurants in New York. So I rushed down to the Salvation Army and bought a jacket so I could get <laughs> into the Russian Tea Room. And I remember arriving and looking around for this this gray-haired, distinguished editor I'd spoken to, but instead here's this kid younger than I was, sitting at a table, like, waving me over. <laughs> and I ignored him for a while, and finally I thought, you know, that guy's got to be Lincoln Child. There's no one else here. Like, So I went over, and that was him. And and uh, we were, anyway, it was a, we had a very nice lunch. Now, how about you, Lincoln? Do you, what was your impression? Well, I I had been a huge fan of the Museum of Natural History, and I always, I took a lot of the behind-the-scenes tours, and I was a member, and I, I always thought that when I retired, you know, I would love to write a behind-the-scenes history of the museum with all the characters, the real-life Indiana Joneses and the, the, the slope-shouldered curators with the heavy glasses. And then I thought, why the hell should I do that? I can find some other poor sap to write it for me. I'm an editor. That's my job is to find find authors. So I, I dug through their magazines, and I found this one guy who happened to uh, write a lot of the really fascinating pieces about the museum's history um and it was Doug Preston and so I phoned him up and and arranged for for uh for lunch and uh we we became uh co-conspirators on the book as well as friends and and the rest as they say is is history wow well you know um like I said I'm I'm reading two graves and I love how you've set up the um chapters you have the first chapter starting at a specific time, and then afterward it's by hours, hours later. So it, it sets up the ticking clock right away. That, to me, seems a little bit brilliant, and, and I'm wondering how you came up with that idea. We came up with that idea because uh, this book has a somewhat unique structure in that there's a, a huge surprise um, Maybe a hundred hundred hours into the book, and it, we felt that the the chase that opens the book, not to give too much away, 
is really tense, and right. it it boils down to hours basically. And so we felt that by by labeling each chapter each chapter in the opening section of the book by the number of hours into the opening scene. By the way, the opening scene of Two Graves is is basically the same as the final scene of the previous book, Cold Vengeance, because this is the final book in the trilogy, and we didn't want anybody to be confused or, or left out of, of, of what happened so far. Um, the number of hours that have proceeded from that dreadful event that ends Cold Vengeance, we thought would simply, you know, um, intensify the excitement, and it, it seems to be working for you, so we're, we're pleased to hear you say that. Oh, it's working incredibly well for me. I love that, that we don't have to be dragged through the ticking clock type of um, literary devices that one might use when they're writing. It's just aut- automatic. Um, it seems a lot like 48 Hours, you know, the the, uh, the television show, 48 Hours. Um, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, you, and uh, so when when you were... When you wrote it, when you were writing, did you have these literary devices in your writing already and then decide to remove them and do the, do it this way, or was this just an automatic? Well, this I'm talking automatic. writing now. We, well, we started off by very, and we do this with all our, all our books, uh, creating an extremely close chronology of events, you know, just to keep everything straight. It's right. something that we put at the beginning of each chapter, exactly the day, the time. And then when we finish writing the chapter, we erase that and throw it away. Um, but it, but this time, I think it was Lincoln's idea, we had we had it by hour, by, you know, we had to very carefully uh, map out exactly when things were taking place because the action is so intense and so, you know, lightning fast that we, and people have to go from point A to point B in a certain period of time that we had to sort of organize ourselves that way. And I think it was Link who said, listen, Doug, let's take these time stamps that we have for our chapters and let's make them the chapter heads. Let's, yeah. let's actually take them and put them as the chapter heads so that people will, will, so that there is this feeling of rushing towards this terrible, terrible thing that happens in what, 12 chapters into the book, the most awful thing. And then there's a stop and then the book, the pacing of the book slows way down, and there's a period of a couple of weeks where not much is going on. So, uh, so we kind of throw right, the reader never... off the cliff, and then there's a long free fall. Wow! Right, exactly. And once they hit the ground, the no- normal no- chapter numbering picks up. So after okay. the first act, then. Well, oh, what a great exciting. visual! Uh, that's a great visual device too, because when the reader sees that, they automatically know what's coming. And without even reading a, a word of prose, the suspense starts to build. That's that's brilliant. Um, so this is uh, a trilogy. Um, the two graves. Two graves is uh, the last in a trilogy of Pendergast novels. But you've actually written about twelve Pendergast novels, starting with Relic. Is that correct? Ellie, I think uh, that's I... right. Wow. Now he is Agent Pendergast. Is a we'll strange... take we'll take your word for it. <laughs> that's according <laughs> to your publicist. So I, I and I actually looked up on Amazon and saw there were about close to twelve, not including twelve graves. I mean two graves. Um, but Agent Pendergast, he, he's such a strange and complex character. How in the world did you come up with someone so unusual? And is there a real person you model him after? Well, it was kind of funny when we were writing Relic, which is the first Pendergast book, many years ago. Um, I was writing the first draft, and I had two 
you know, I, I wrote, I don't know, five or ten chapters. I sent them off to Link, and he called me up and he said, you know, Doug, these are great chapters, but you got these two cops. This one guy's Irish, the other guy's Italian, you know, from Queens. They're both kind of rough, working-class guys. He said, I think that they're really the same character. Uh, I, I think you have to fold these two people together. And then I think we need a detective who's totally different, someone totally a fish out of water. And very sarcastically, I said, oh, like an albino from New Orleans? <laughs> Lincoln, Lincoln, there was a silence, and he said, well, you know, Doug, I don't know, we might be able to work with that. And uh, and then in about 15 minutes of conversation, Pendergast was born fully formed, sort of like Athena from the head of Zeus. I mean, he's not an albino, but he's just very, very pale. <laughs> wow. So sometimes it's funny. Uh, Usually we can we can you know uh, recite the the pedigree of our characters. You know, like we'll sit down and write out a page or two or three of them and what they their backstory and and what they like and dislike and what they look like. But Pendergast just he sort of exploded onto the onto the screen, as Doug says, fully formed. And we he's the one character we we have no backstory. You know, description of. I mean, yeah, I mean, we we sort of dis- we we sort of discovered him ourselves as we've been writing the books. I mean, I think for the first three books we wrote, we didn't even know his first name. <laughs> we, we honestly didn't. We didn't know. We didn't know his backstory. We didn't know anything. Just once in a while, some weird little factoid would come out, like his wife was killed on a hunting expedition in Africa. I think that came out in Relic. Or his brother's room in their old family manse was boarded over, you know, in, in Pendergast's memory, never to be reopened. You know, little things. It's almost as if Pendergast revealed himself to us bit, bit by bit, you know, sort of reluctantly rather than vice versa. But he's a, he's a very real character. Uh, in, in I mean, I feel I know Pendergast better than I know a number of real people. Um, he just is so clear in my mind who he is, and he's he's not that nice a person. I mean, I I don't know if I'd want to spend too much time with him, um, you know. But at the same time, he's a fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. So, as a person that you might not like to know personally or spend too much time with, but you, uh, but the readers obviously have spent you know thousands of hours glued to the pages reading about him so that that's really um amazing well, I, well think I, about it i mean in in many books the, the the villain is more interesting than the hero and pendergast while certainly not being a villain has certain unlikable misanthropic you know aspects to him and so maybe that adds to his his charisma <laughs> people definitely are attracted to snark and things like that to, to read about <laughs> as long as they're not the victim of it i suppose exactly yeah schadenfreude is a wonderful thing Wow. Now well, we 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 were the victim of his snarkiness once when we our publisher said we'd like you to interview Pendergast and oh. and we did and Pendergast was unspeakably rude to us. We didn't really <laughs> expect it. I I mean I know that's odd to say because we wrote the interview but he was very rude. He dismissed our work. He uh, he became very offended at our at our questioning of his personal life and finally he walked he walked out. <laughs> True to character I suppose. Now, how, how, the two, how do the two of you work together? Is there any way you can give us a little peek into what the process is like? It's really changed over the years, you know, and, and it's still an, an organic uh, a beast. And originally, 
I, um, as an editor and Doug as a writer, I did a lot of the outlining after he and I would talk about what we wanted to do next. He'd write the first drafts, and then I would revise his first drafts to his 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 disdain and disappointment and disgust. Um, and I would write the odd chapter from the point of view of the the leper or the 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 axe murderer, you know. Um, but then over time, um, you know, he learned from me, I think, and I learned from him, uh, certainly. And um, I took on more of the writing responsibilities. Um, Doug is, is 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 fantastic at being a, a fast writer, and not only fast, but but really great. I mean, what comes off his his word processors is, is fantastic. Um, and uh, I'm not as fast as he is, um, so I say he writes probably 65 to 70 percent of the books, and I write 30 to 35 percent. And sometimes I'm tasked with uh, with certain really complicated or difficult chapters, simply because since I I I think more slowly than he does anyway, you know, um, I might as well be be sent 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 the uh, some of the heavy lifting. But 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 Doug. Uh, one thing I've learned from Doug is is how to inject humor in, into a situation. Even a, I, I remember reading his chapter in Relic when it's a, when all hell breaks loose and there's a stampede of of tourists and and this 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 banquet sort of descends into chaos and and you know it's from the point of view of Smithback, may he rest in peace, who uh, as a journalist um, witnessing this and 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 you know he's. He's eating the camembert and pate that sort of, you know, falls onto his his frilled white shirt while he's taking notes, and and you know, it's such a humorous moment in the midst of panic that 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 uh, a lesser writer wouldn't have even considered to put put humor in a situation like that. So, um, I I think that's definitely has become a, a, a distinct hallmark of our style is is to not take ourselves too seriously or or our book. I mean, we, we take them seriously. I mean, we. We've killed off some of our biggest characters and biggest money makers just just to show people that nobody's safe in our stories. No, no, none of the characters are safe, you know. So we do take our our, our books very seriously, but, but at the same time, we try and have a lot of fun with them, and and hope our readers do as well. well I think. Wow! Reading... Did I just say all that? Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was great. You got it, and huh? your readers do um, enjoy this. Uh, it it's just very pleasant to. Um, to be in a situation that is a little more tense and then to be lifted out of that with some interesting, quirky character trait that is given, you know, just boom. And I can go to a dozen on in just the first chapter, and these are short chapters. So it's done throughout the book. Um, I just wanted to go back to your uh, comments about the character of Pendergast. He's, he's um, remarkable, um, and he's... You could see his character development just explode when Helen comes on the scene, which was very interesting because he's very is seemingly cold, but then Helen shows up and and um, and I hope this isn't a spoiler. And uh, but but it happens rather quickly in the book, and so um, she she makes him come alive, which is really almost Conan Doyle-ish. Is that a word? Um, how he works with Sherlock Holmes, and I felt a very a safe spot with Sherlock Holmes and Pendergast. It felt very much like Sherlock Holmes, the way he is so removed from everybody else because he is so much more intelligent than everybody else. 
Well, he is. He's he's very hard to get to know. He's a, he's a mystery. He's a cipher to most people around him, and he's a cipher to a certain extent to the readers. We don't often get into his head. We don't understand, you know, as readers, what he's thinking or why he's doing what he's doing, sort of like Sherlock Holmes. But he did have this one great love in his life, which was Helen, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll never, you know, I, I hope it isn't a spoiler to say this, but he's never going to have another love like that. He's just not capable of it. And at this point in his life, he may not be, he's changed. He he can't go back to what he was before. And so, you know, I think that that creates a lot of pain and and in his, but he covers it all up. One of the reasons we wrote Fever Dream, or one of the things we had in mind was, you know, people by and large love Pendergast, as you pointed out, but now and then people complain, oh, he's too perfect, you know, he solves everything, you know, he's, he's he knows all the martial arts, you know, he's impenetrable, you know, he's, and so we wanted to show in this trilogy a really personal side of him. I mean, this in, in these three books, Fever Dream, Cold Vengeance, and now Two Graves, this is really personal. I mean, the things that are happening in these books you know the, the the murders that take place. Certainly, there's a lot of investigation that takes place and a lot of exciting action. But it's per, it's about him. It's personally about him. He's the case he's solving has to deal with himself directly, and that's a real sea change for us from the previous books where he's just called in basically to solve a crime that interests him or that he gets involved in tangentially. Uh, and so this it it's made this trilogy a much much more personal story. For Pendergast, and we wanted people to see that uh, uh, aspect of his life and 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 get more involved with him as a character. Oh, and he's a fun character to get involved with too. And let me mention to our listeners that we're speaking with um, Lincoln Child and Douglas Preston, and we're talking about their latest release, which will be out in just a few days, called Two Graves. And you can go to their website at www.prestonchild.com. Um, yes. Uh, Pendergast is uh, definitely surgical, not in uh, not only in his detective work, but also in his his way of thinking and his his uh, outward behavior. A lot of fun. I mean, it, but then you see this other side. You guys have just uh, done a remarkable job on pulling me into the story. So thank you for that. Now, um, I would, I, I'm really fascinated in the co-authorship relationship. That's why I kind of keep coming back to that, even though I really am interested in the books themselves. But um, what is it about the both of you that makes you such a great writing team? I mean, successful partnerships are rare. So, what do you think is the key to such a successful partnership? I think we, well, we I think the most important thing about it. Well, you, you, you obviously you tie at once together. Yeah, now go ahead and start. <laughs> All right. Um, the, well, I think the most important thing is trust, and it's kind of a, if Lincoln, if I've written something and Lincoln says to me, you know, Doug, this is crap, I have to believe that, and after I get over, you know, yelling at him and telling him what a Philistine he is and, you know, <laughs> illiterate and so forth, I have to sit back and say, well, you know what, I mean, obviously Lincoln wouldn't have said that if, if there wasn't a serious problem with what I've written, and, you know, I think Lincoln feels the same way. We have to trust each other and not try to second guess. And so we, 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 we've developed a way of working together where, where one of us will write a series of chapters and then give it to the other one to rewrite. And so I'll write a series of chapters, maybe five or ten, 
and I'll send them to Lincoln with a certain amount of trepidation, and he will vigorously and horrifyingly rewrite those chapters. And when, when I see what he's done, I'm initially extremely dismayed and, and upset at, at the my Shakespearean level prose has been so, you know, butchered by this by this this this, this crude Philistine. But um actually um what he's done is he's taken out all those infelicitous or overwritten, you know, things that I tend to put in and made it much tighter and, and made it much better. And I do the same with him. And it is it's true that it's a process that we sometimes end up getting really pissed off at each other about but the end result is a prose style, which is really tight, it's literate, um, and I think it's better than what we could achieve or what we, in fact, do achieve in our solo novels. I mean, we have our own joint style, which is different than what we write separately. I had a college professor of English who once told me that before you turn in a paper, go over it and find the line in the story or the essay that you're proudest of and cut it out. You know, because invariably it's it's self-serving and and not as good as you, as you think it is. And again and again, I find Doug taking out that line that I wrote that I was very pleased with. Um, but I think in addition to to trust, um, any successful writing partnership, at least fiction writing partnership, is going to also rely on respect. You have to respect the other person's judgment, so that when you know when 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 he changes what you've done, you know he has a reason to do it. And um, you also have to respect the fact that, that that he's he has all these books under his belt. You know, it's been a it's been an organic process us getting to trust each other and respect each other. Um, and you have to check your egos at the door. You know, you simply can't come in and and say you know it's my way or the highway. You know, or it's doomed to failure. And you know, we we've had we've had clashes over the years. You know, we've had you know tiffs and and. Uh, Kissing contests and uh, and the like. Um, yeah, you may have to cut that out. I don't know. But, no, we but, won't. Sorry. Um, you know, but but it's just gone to uh, to, to strengthen the relationship, and and uh, I think you know it's it's really an object lesson because you look at I'm not I'm not I'm not in any way comparing us to the Beatles, but you look at the kind of fights and and petty ego skirmishes that went on and things and that broke them up and. And Doug and I realized we have too good a thing going here. Um, and besides, we enjoy it. You know, we, we pick stories that we both en- like to write and, and are interested in, and the stories that one is not interested in, we save for our solo novels. And so, you know, it's really it's it's hard work. It's really hard work, um, but it's also a lot of fun. And um, we enjoy working with each other. And and you know, we we always have stuff to talk about, you know, we've, we've been to hundreds of thousands of book signings and we're always sitting in the green room before the book signing begins and we just start talking about who knows what and we're, we're deep in the conversation they have to pry us away to, to start the, the book signing, so the fact that we like each other, I think, helps a lot also. Well, we're just pleased that you guys decided to join forces way back when and, and give us all of these great uh, books to read um, I'm reading Like I said Two Graves right now We have to wrap up We're talking with um, Lincoln Child And Doug Preston and, and we're talking about Their latest release Which will be available December 11th Called Two Graves 
and it's a remarkable story. I hope everybody gets them. For uh, people that are listening right now, go to www.prestonchild.com, and you can find them on Facebook as well. Lincoln, Doug, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you visiting with us today. Well, thank you. We've really had had fun talking to you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, Joshua and Susan, for your very interesting questions and for your enthusiasm. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you for writing. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, they're just really fabulous guys and so much fun to uh, talk with, of course, but their their writing is spectacular, and I'm having just a ball reading this. You know, I'm, I was going to tell you a little story, but we've only got 90 seconds, so I'm just going to say please join us at www.dialoguebtl.com, and we're on Facebook. This is... Susan Wingate for Joshua Graham. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.